Physics World. Hello, and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. Earlier this year, in what sounds like the plot of a science fiction film, a spacecraft was deliberately crashed into an asteroid. That asteroid was part of a binary system, and scientists were able to see how the impact affected the motion of the target object. That was the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, mission. And its success means that it should be possible for us to deflect an asteroid on a collision course with our planet, saving Earth. DART was conceived and executed by NASA and an international team led by the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. And for their efforts, they're the winners of the Physics World 2022 Breakthrough of the Year Award. I'm very pleased to be joined down the line by Andrew Cheng, who leads the DART team at the Johns Hopkins APL in Baltimore, Maryland, and who was one of the many scientists and engineers who made DART a success. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast, and congratulations for a successful mission and for winning the Physics World Breakthrough of the Year Award. So, Andrew, what was it like when DART struck the asteroid? It must have been a great moment for you and your team. Oh, it was. It was, it was actually a bit tense, too. We were, we were a bit anxious because we knew that oh, there's so many ways it could all go wrong. But actually, by then... Um, the most critical time was about an hour earlier. It's when DART had to first detect its target, Dimorphos, because Dimorphos actually was in a part of its orbit that where it was actually behind Didymos. It was on the other side of Didymos, and so it could not be seen. We have to wait until just over an hour out when when Dimorphos first comes out from behind Didymos, and so then DART is able to see it, and, and then the DART spacecraft has to recognize there's a new little dot. It's just a little dot at that time. So, oh, there is a real target there, and it's in the right place, and oh, it's my target, and then it has to lock onto that. But that already happened an hour earlier. So we knew that DART at least thought it was on the right target, and then when we saw the pictures coming in, which was great, really, just watching those things come in and sharing that with everyone. That was that, That's really great. And we watched the morphos get bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, we can make out, wow, it looks like there's huge boulders on this guy. And then there's boulders covering the whole surface. And we watched it come bigger and bigger. And we knew, we already knew by that point, yes, Dart was going to hit. Dart's going to hit. But we're just you know, so anyway. It was really exciting, as you said. It was it was one of the greatest moments of my life. And, we, and when know. Dart struck the asteroid, was that it for Dart? Was it? Um, yeah, that was it was for it Dart. Yes, because <laughs> yes, we had already. Yes, that was why Dart had to send all the pictures back in real time because it wasn't going to be <laughs> any later to be able to send those pictures back. Right. Okay. And, and 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 you mentioned that um, you know obviously it was it was quite a, a feat to get Dart there in the first mm -hmm. place. Can, can you give us a, a brief overview uh, of the mission? What what were the objectives, and, um, and and how were they met? All right. So Dart was a planetary defense test. It was the first one, and it was a test of as you said a kinetic impactor. So if we hit the asteroid with a spacecraft 
Can we change the orbit? And how much do we change the orbit? So the first objective, of course, was to hit the asteroid. That's the most important thing for the spacecraft to actually hit the asteroid Dimorphos at a specific time when the asteroid was close to Earth. So in September or October 2021, that's when we had to hit. Um, and we had to cause a period change. So we had to hit it hard enough to cause a period change of more than 73 seconds, and we did. It turned out we caused the period change of about 33 minutes. And DART also had to measure the amount of the period change because not only do we want to cause, we, had to, we wanted to show that, yes, the orbit was changed, and we want to measure how much the orbit was changed because that's really the key measurement. Uh, well, the key measurement actually is to determine the amount of momentum that we put into the asteroid. And that's very important because in the future, that is how we're going to determine basically how hard, how big an impact, how hard do you have to push an asteroid in order to make it miss the Earth if it's heading for the Earth. It's, you have to put in a certain amount of momentum. You don't want to put in too much because, you know, it's wasteful, costs money, and also too little because if you put in too little, you're <laughs> not going to be able to deflect it off the course for the Earth. Mm -hmm. So those are the those are the main objectives of DART. And and w one question that I have, um, Andrew, is why did you choose um, a binary system? Um, wh why didn't you just go after a, you know sort of a suitably sized single asteroid? Is is it because the fact that it was in it's in a binary system w would allow you to see the effect of the impact in in a better way, or so that's exactly it. We chose a binary asteroid as a target, and specifically changing the orbit of the moon around the primary asteroid because that change can be measured with ground-based telescopes without requiring a second spacecraft to go there, visit the body, and to measure the change in the trajectory. Because that's what would would be required to make that measurement. Um, if it was a single asteroid, we would need another spacecraft there to be able to measure the change, whatever we did to deflect the orbit. I see. And 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 one thing that that I've I've often wondered about, um, you know, in terms of space missions, and I suppose this one in particular, because you're you're looking at such a small target, is is it a matter of of sort of doing all your calculations very precisely, then launching the spacecraft? knowing that on its own it will you know reach that needle in a haystack or or do you do do you have some way of correcting the 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 trajectory of the spacecraft as it travels towards the asteroid yeah well actually in fact it's it's not even possible to measure the uh, position of the target asteroid so precisely that we could hit it without doing the course corrections as you approach. So DART actually had the ability to measure, well, basically to home in on the target like a, you know, like a seeker, missile seeker. It employed technology that's actually based on you know, the technology of, of uh, guided missiles and um, uses the camera. The DART carried a big camera, the Draco camera, taking pictures and then to see, okay, here's where my target is. And then 
to measure, okay, that's where my target is, so I have to change my course to go ahead for it. And, and so it uses that information to hit the target. And and you, you work at a, a at a, a an applied physics lab at Johns yes. Hopkins University, yes. and um, I mean I would have thought that there's an incredible amount of applied physics involved in in developing a, a project like Dart. Oh, I, I agree with you completely. It's all applied physics. Everything is. I, even even cooking. My you know science of cooking is applied physics too. But uh, okay. But more specifically about Dart, there's I think two really interesting physics issues. One is one I already mentioned, which is that DART is really all about measuring the amount of momentum that we put into a target. And um, why is that? I mean, we all remember from physics that momentum is conserved, right? So that whatever momentum I bring into the collision, that's the momentum that, that comes out of a collision. Yes, well, yes, of course, that's, that's a very basic law of physics. But the subtlety here is that what we really want is the moment we're asking about the momentum that we transfer specifically to the asteroid. And if the asteroid throws off material afterwards, why then some of the momentum is also carried off in these what we call ejecta, the result of you know blasting material off the asteroid. It's coming back the other way. And so that carries momentum back the other way, which means that you had to have more momentum put into the target. So that's, that's, DART is all about measuring the more momentum that we put into the target because we blasted ejecta off. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect that's very interesting is we, we, we probably all remember um, learning about Kepler's laws in school. Um, Kepler's laws governing the orbits of the planets around the sun and satellite, you know, moons around the earth and all that. Well, it turns out for these asteroid binaries, the Kepler's laws don't work all that well. They, these, 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 these binaries are so large and so irregular in shape compared to their orbit that um, the, the orbits are not, don't really, they, they don't accurately obey Kepler's laws. And so that's, that's another interesting aspect of, of the DART mission is that we had to actually do very detailed uh, numerical calculations, and also there's some analytical calculations you can do as well. But we have to take into account the sizes and the shapes of the bodies and their effect on the orbits because Didymos, the, the primary, is 800 meters, roughly speaking, 800 meters across, but the moon is only 1,200 meters away. So it's so close compared to the size of the body that every bump and wiggle in the shape of the body affects the orbit of the moon. And so we have to take all that into account in order to be able to do the, you know, to be able to understand what the change in the orbit was, and uh, all that, and determine the momentum transfer. And the, the the asteroid that you struck, I think it it was about 160 meters across. And I, I, am I right in thinking that 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 is a significant number? Because it, uh, is it that any any asteroid that's over about 140 meters across could could be a danger to Earth. Is is that why you picked a 160 meter object? That is one of the reasons why that moon, yes, was picked as a target. It's the right size because yes, 140 meters is the threshold size to be officially designated as a potentially hazardous asteroid. 
actually even lower than that size, down to 50 or 60 meters even, there, there's still the potential to cause enough damage if you hit the ground, you know, in a populated area, that uh, it'd be worthwhile to, in other words, the amount of damage you cause is much greater than the cost of a mission to um, deflect the asteroid, make it not hit the Earth. So the, the, the minimum size at which you want to maybe um, deflect an asteroid away is maybe 50 or 60 meters. But yes, 140 meters, which is roughly... Is, 160 meters is the size of Dimorphos. 140 meters is the official threshold size to be potentially hazardous. And NASA set a benchmark for for, for the deflection, and you um, you exceeded this benchmark by by a significant amount. Do you do you understand now why? You, you you exceeded the benchmark is it is it because you you tried to exceed it and you succeeded or did did something go better than than expected um well okay the how much of a how much uh, of a deflection did we cause there were actually predictions over a fairly wide range that um the we talk in terms of a momentum enhancement factor how much the momentum we transferred to the asteroid exceeded what was brought in by the spacecraft. So it could be a minimum value of one, so no enhancement at all. And there were predictions that it could be a, you know, five or six times more momentum. In the event, um, we found that the momentum transfer was 3.6 times what the spacecraft brought in. That's assuming the two bodies are at the same density, which is a reasonable assumption. And um, so 3.6 times is on the high, is in the high end of the range. And we are currently uh, discussing on the team why it happened. I have my own views as to why I think it happened, but uh, we're still working on this, this question. Um, I think it's mostly just due to what the nature of the asteroid was, what it was made of, and how it reacted to the collision. It just produced a lot of ejecta, and that ejecta carried off enough momentum to matter. And why it did, it has to do with its material properties, its strength, the amount of internal friction it has, the um, also the amount, how well, how, how squishy it is, how porous it is. So the combination of those factors somehow led the, uh, so the, in other words, the material properties of the asteroid were, were, were such. And exactly what they were is something the team is still working on. I see. And and is this, the, this asteroid, is it a typical asteroid <laughs> is we, we it the typical it is. sort of yeah. asteroid that could yeah. strike earth so absolutely based on it, it it's spectral type which which telescopic observations can measure it is one of the most common types of of near earth asteroids so yes it is a typical guy it's what we call an s asteroid so it's a stony um it's same composition as the stony meteorites so specifically the kind known as ordinary chondrite in fact, even more specifically, it's an LL ordinary contrite, so it's a low iron type. So, th so this sounds like good news then for um, you know for for the viability of an idea of of protecting the Earth by by using a a sort of a dart like system. Is, is that right? This is good news yes, for it's very future good news. generations. It's very, yes, it is good news. It tells us that the kinetic impactor was more efficient as a means to put momentum into your asteroid, then, then perhaps one might have, well, pessimistically, 
what one might have hoped for, which would be momentum enhancement of one. We have actually 3.6 times as much momentum put in, and that immediately means that if you could just barely deflect an asteroid away before, now you can deflect a target that is 3.6 times more massive. Or if you said, you okay, I can just barely deflect it away, but I need to do the impact 18 years out. I need that much warning time. I need 20 years of warning time to be able to hit the asteroid 18 years out. That's if, if the momentum enhancement was one. If your momentum enhancement is 3.6, that means I can wait until five years out. I can do that same deflection five years out. I don't need as much warning time. Or it means that if I had the, you know, all else being equal, I could use a kinetic impactor that was 3.6 times smaller, and that would be easier to do and it would cost less. So that, that's why, yes, it's, it's very good news for viability of, of this technique, the kinetic impact technique for deflecting an asteroid to mitigate asteroid impact hazard. And and so what what, what next then is it, it would is it right to think that space agencies like NASA will be building um, actual defense systems rather than test systems in the near future? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, I think okay, NASA of course is going to be deciding what it's going to do. It has not done that yet um, in regard to building a uh, another asteroid. Uh, either defense system or a test. I don't know. They, 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 that's up to NASA, really. Um, the next NASA mission in the planetary defense um, area is a survey mission. It's called NEO Surveyor. It's the, the objective of that mission is to find the dangerous asteroids down to 140 meters and below in size. So that's a big infrared telescope that's, that's being you know, planned by NASA. So that is actually the next thing. And then, of course, we have discussions as well about, okay, what other kinds of planetary defense tests or test missions? And one specific thing being talked about also is it being able to do a rapid reconnaissance mission to find out things like how big is a target and what is it made of, and, you know, things like that. And what about yourself, Andrew? You, I'm, I'm guessing you, you spent a, an incredible amount of time and effort in you know, sort of get, getting this project to fruition, only to see it, you know, sort of smash into a, a million pieces <laughs> along the oh, way. Oh, I know, What are you up to now? Are you, are, are you, are, are you still in, in the field of, of asteroid deflection? I am still, actually, there is another mission. It's an ESA mission called HERA, which will be visiting the same Didymos binary system and looking at Dimorphos, it will arrive in 2026. I hope to be involved in that. Hope to see actually what DART did. Is there a crater there? And you know, what were the other, whatever you know, what what does it look like now after DART? And and what does Dimorphos look like? So I'm hoping to be involved in that. But yes, that is what's one of, that that is what's next for me. Right. Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, mm -hmm. That sounds like a, a, a really interesting follow up. So, yeah. is that, um, you know, just with DART, is it is it right to think that this is sort of a definitive result in the sense that, um, you know, we, we, we've done it once and that definitely means that we could do it again? Or are there are there situations that, you know, maybe oh, okay. maybe uh, would be more it, difficult? Well, here's the thing. We don't know that all asteroids are the same. In fact, we think we're pretty sure they're not. And so 
the question is going to be, if we go to another asteroid, does it have the same kind of structure or is it the same kind of composition? Eh, probably not. So, yeah, no, we do have to do more of these tests because we could find very different behavior, you know, if we just go to a different target. And, and that's actually going to be what we really learn, need to learn how to do is we need, we need to figure out ways to, to um, characterize these asteroids and measure the things we need to measure about, about them to be able to know how they would respond to a deflection attempt. Or actually, in fact, many people also interested in getting resources, mining asteroids. What is on these asteroids? Anything that we might want to do do something with? And so that that's what we that's what we really need is ways to find out what these asteroids are like, what they're made of, what's a, what kind of resources might be available on them, how they're put together, how hard that might they be to deflect, all these kinds of things. So that's what we really that's what we really need to do also. And you mentioned the ESA mission. Are there, are there other missions coming up? Um, yeah, I believe there's, um, China has a mission being planned to a near-Earth asteroid, and they're actually going to do a deflection. It's like DART, from what I understand. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. Yes. So fingers crossed. I think if that one works, then yes. two. And yes. if we've done two, we're, also, yeah. we're set. Yes, well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to come on the podcast. And and oh, congratulations uh, you know, to you and all your DART um, collaborators. It, I mean, it's such an incredible uh, achievement, um, definitely. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes. It's actually been an opportunity of a lifetime to be able to do a mission like this or to just to be part of it. It's been great. And to be able to share with all the people around the world as well. It's, that's been wonderful. That's fantastic. Thanks, Andrew. You can read more about the DART mission on the Physics World website. Just look for the headline, Deflection of a Near-Earth Asteroid by DART is the Physics World 2022 Breakthrough of the Year. And that article includes information about the nine runners-up for this award. Also new on the website is an article about the recent announcement from the U.S.'s National Ignition Facility about a nuclear fusion experiment that yielded an excess of energy. Science writer Edwin Cartledge speaks to fusion experts about the significance of this milestone result and what it means for the future of fusion energy. That article is called National Ignition Facility Demonstrates Net Fusion Energy Gain in World First. The first experimental demonstration of fusion was done in 1932 by the Australian physicist Mark Oliphant. Oliphant was working in Cambridge with the New Zealander Ernest Rutherford, and their lives are the subject of a new biography by Andrew Ramsey. It's called The Basis of Everything, Rutherford, Oliphant, and the Coming of the Atomic Bomb. Physics World's Margaret Harris reviews the book on the website. Just look for the headline, Mentor and Student, How Ernest Rutherford and Mark Oliphant Change Nuclear Physics. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast. Thanks to Andrew Cheng for joining me, and a special thanks to our producer, Fred Isles. This is the last podcast of the year, 
Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again on the 5th of January. Physics World.